Hi, welcome to Haven Chat. This is Carrie. I'm so glad you're here for the conversation. Today, I am so excited for the people that I have on. They're personal friends of mine, and they've been such an encouragement to so many, including me. Their lives are something that God has done amazing things through. And beyond just being really cool people, they're super open about what God's done in their lives. So welcome, Sean and Bethany. I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Thanks great for to be us. here with you. <laughs> so you guys um, have been married how long? Wow, 15 years in six days from now. So Whoa, good May job, 25th. Sean. <laughs> 15th year anniversary. Yeah. Oh, happy anniversary yeah, like almost. Yeah, so I got to remember this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit of your history, how you met, and what sort of brought you together, and where that started, and what that looked like? Well, um, Bethany and I met at Calvary Chapel, South Orlando, <laughs> in Orlando, um, about... 17 years ago and Bethany was kind of in and out of the church she's significantly younger than me so Bethany is just about eight years younger than me and I was leading ministry there doing street evangelism and outreach and she showed up and she was this young little bippity bop trying to get off cocaine yeah and <laughs> And um, so when she showed up, I was very like older brother and she was like my little sister that was trying to get her life together. And having been someone that, you know, God rescued out of drug addiction myself, you know, we connected very easily and we were both kind of into the same dancing and techno music scene and various things. And so uh, we were always friends and never had any like romantic anything um until one day god reconnected us god one time told me i'll go back a little bit he told me one time as i was crying out to god and i was very frustrated because i was getting older and i was almost turning 30 and i said god why do i not have a wife and kids it's my one desire and he says well the reason why you don't have a wife and kids is because you look at porn mm -hmm. and it broke my heart because something that i was fighting very hard against and couldn't stop doing was the one thing that was keeping back the only thing I really wanted here at an earthly level was a wife and a family um, and so the very day that the Lord spoke to me the final key to getting free from porn um, that night by just pure happenstance I ran into Bethany and by early that next morning we were engaged and a month later we were married Whoa. so the Lord very day he gave me the, the uh, message of what would set me free ultimately was the very day he gave me my wife. So, you know, isn't that the mercy of God? And so we, um, we got married in a very unconventional manner and way. Uh, I hadn't seen Bethany. We hadn't even been on a date. We got engaged before we ever went on a date or had a long conversation on the phone call <laughs> that was hard to end. God just, um, God just put us together. It's just a yeah, there's crazy no, God story. <laughs> no rhyme or reason why it should have happened, you know? And uh, God just put us together and spoke very clearly to me that this was my wife and told me to ask her to marry her. And she said, absolutely. And a month later, we were married. And two months after that, she was pregnant. So, Ooh. Okay. I and love this so much because there's a couple things I'd like to unpack if you're okay with it. One of them is, Bethany, were you free of cocaine at this point? When Sean and I first met at Calvary Chapel, South Orlando, 
I was somewhat free. Mm. I had been sober for a couple months. I had fled my life in Nashville because that's where all my drug connections were and friends were. Moved to Orlando to live with my grandmother. And so, you know, been sober a couple months, but then I fell back into drugs, in and out of drugs when I was at church and actually would go to church high sometimes because mm-hmm. I was so desperate for the Lord. That w- that went on for about a year and a half or so. Um, went back to Nashville, was running from God. Um, then a pastor and his wife who lived in Orlando, who I'd met their daughter through a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, said, hey, come and live with us. Come and live with us. They harassed me <laughs> when I was in Nashville. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. You know, they both had history of addiction and drugs mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. And they had a house church. Mm-hmm. They kind of uh, put me through a, you know, a home church teen challenge, so to speak. And I lived there for like three or four months. And that's what really rocked me and helped me to get sober and gave me my new identity in the Lord because uh, Rick put me on the piano and um, worship was what really freed me from addiction. When I wanted to go out and use or I wanted to go out and you know, do bad things, they were there to kind of say, no, you can't do that. And I had one friend that I was allowed to hang out with who was a strong Christian <laughs> and I just lived with them. And that, that's what really rocked me. And that's where I really, I feel like the, the Lordship of Christ came over my life because that, then I surrendered and yielded to him and submitted to him in that season. So. Wow. One of the things I feel like is so amazing about your story is that they were willing to enter your life and give you guardrails to safety. Yeah. I think sometimes we hear a lot about loving people is just accepting everything about them and allowing them to do whatever they want, even if it leads to destruction or pain. And you had people in your life that were willing to say, no, we want to invite you in such a way that we give you guardrails of love, really, to get you to a place of health. That's beautiful. They literally took my cell phone, my keys. I couldn't (laughs) drive anywhere. I mean, I was I was on lockdown. Wow. for months and months, but I got immersed with Jesus and that's what changed me. So totally. It's sometimes the hard love is, is so powerful, especially coming out of addiction. Mm-hmm. So Wow. So then can you just, is there a specific instance that it just showed you that worship was a place that unlocked something in you that was different than anything else? I feel like for me, it was a lot of identity. Um, a lot of identity is, you know, when you're immersed in the drug culture, you know, you're surrounded by people who are obsessed about getting the next hit. I was also immersed in an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So my life was consumed with, with that, you know, getting the next fix, the next high to deal with all the emotion, all the trauma, all the stuff that I was working through in my life from, you know, a child and then added on a bunch of stuff as I started to, you know, mess around in my teenage years. Um, but I experienced a freedom in worship that, that brought that release that I didn't have to run to the drugs. I didn't have to run to food. I didn't have to run to boys on the piano when I was worshiping the Lord and I was writing music, you know, it cleared my heart. It cleared my mind so that, you know, it, it released me and it freed me. And ultimately the presence of God, you know, in community, you know, coming around me and, and really changing that identity. And it wasn't an overnight process. Like I actually still struggled with an eating disorder for years after I got truly, um, delivered from drugs. That was still a struggle for me, but that ongoing process of running to the Lord instead of running to addiction, Mm -hmm. um, is what really started to change me over time. And was worship a practical way for you to run to the Lord? Absolutely. (coughs) 
Absolutely. I mean, I have journals and journals of just music. A lot of it sounds a lot like the Psalms, you know, of David, oh, Lord, where are you? I'm here. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, absolutely. It was just practical here. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write this song. I'm going to express to the Lord what I'm feeling right now, even though it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And just and just get it out of my head, get it out of my heart so I don't feel those things anymore. That's so good. So you go to Orlando after this Nashville experience and you and Sean reconnect. Sean, the Lord talked to you about porn and that was something, was that an overnight deliverance or how did that look for you as you walked that out from into a place of freedom? Well, I mean, porn first entered my life in the first grade. So mm-hmm. I actually got you know, introduced to porn in the first grade. Mm. Um, I've always been a business entrepreneur, so I got in trouble at school because I was bringing clips of like Playboy magazine to school in the first grade and selling it. And so it's like, you know, we're talking something that goes all the way back. Like my, my parents were never intimate, like they didn't kiss because my mom fell out of love with my dad six months after they were married and they like, Mm. they never had sex. They never kissed. They never anything. And then all of a sudden I get introduced to pornography at a young age. And so it really rooted deeply in my heart mm-hmm. uh, because it was just such a counterfeit and something that was like, oh, that's what, you know, and no, obviously not. Um, I, I came to Christ at 24. I was very heavily addicted to pornography then. Um, and then all of a sudden, wow, this is actually not okay. I always felt guilty and shameful and, you know, just like, ah, this is dirty, you know, my whole life because mm-hmm. um, I did know of and know the Lord from a young child, but I wasn't serving him. Um, and so I really fought as a young man following the Lord. I like was one of those guys that um, is somewhat rare, I guess, where I like really was like, I would tell anyone, if I would confess my sin to anyone, I actually got in trouble for telling too many people about it. I'm like, the Bible says if I confess to people and they pray for me, I'll be healed. You know, and so yeah. the pastor's like, quick telling people, you know, I'm like, but I want to be healed. I'm tired. And I would, you know, I'd read the books and I had a you know counselor and I went to every man's battle workshop. I smashed a TV with an ax. Um, you know, I couldn't cut my hand off, but I smashed the TV. Mm. You know, I had I had a friend that would keep my Internet modem and bring it over when I needed to download stuff for my computer. Mm. You know, I mean, I was just like everything and anything like everything I could do. But there was still this raging monster inside of me. You know, and so it was like that classic Romans seven where I'm like, the, the, I, I want to, but I find there's this evil inside of me that's like, well, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my trying to stop and to not do it as much as I loved God. And I just was like, God, I love you. And I want to, I want to stop. Like, you're just, you're, you, you're so amazing. You saved me. You rescued me. How could I be doing this? In spite of all of that, I would still just to points. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to go do this. And, you know, my accountability partner, why didn't you call me? I'm like, because I didn't want to. I wanted to look at porn, stupid. Mm. Why do you think I didn't call you? You know, and it's like there was this raging monster inside of me, you know. And so it led up to this moment where I actually went to this conference. It was about porn and it was the it was the five steps to destruction of porn. And it's like five points. You know, you always hear these three point messages. Well, this was a five point one. I don't remember three point ones, but I remember this one. Point one, lust, point two, conception, you know, point three gives birth, you know, um, lust conceives, you know, gives Mm -hmm. birth to death. Um, Maybe I forgot one of the points along the way. But, you know, and the whole message was just like, you need to stop doing this. It's going to destroy you. And Mm -hmm. And it was such a 
fleshly spiritual message mm. because there was no hope in it for mm -hmm. someone like me. It was like, you just need to stop. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Finally, someone told me the key. And I'm like, I can't stop. Like, what do you have for me, preacher man? Because there's this part of me that you could go up there all you want and tell me, you need to love God. And, you know, how could you? And you need to stop and all of that. And I'm like, I know, I know. And then an hour later, I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to go look at porn. You know, and I'm like, what do you have for me? Because there is no hope. And I was so discouraged, so condemned, so feeling like a worthless piece of crap, failure Christian. You're going to be the only one who never does this person that I was borderline about to just walk away from God, mm. you know. And, and then a couple of guys later, this guy gets up and he was a professional football player and he lost everything. He broke his knee and it was unrepairable. He lost his career, lost his house, lost everything. He kind of cheated his way through college, as I remember the story. This is 20-plus years ago now, you know, and so he kind of cheated his way through college. Or There he was, and he was losing everything. His life's falling apart, and he goes, God, help me, help me. And he said, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you can't do it. Mm. And when the guy said, you can't do it, it had nothing to do with pornography. This other guy had this wonderful, you know, five-point sermon about porn that he prepared for. This other guy had zero intention to, to like, actually that what he was about to say would minister to a guy like me. But when he said, you can't do it, the Holy Spirit fell on me. And he says, are you ready for this now, Sean? You can't do it. Mm. And I was like, what? And, and I was like, and then I just started talking to the Lord about this, of, like, what, what does that mean? Like, I can't do it. How do I— how do I live that out? Do I just quit trying? Like I just say, oh, if I want to look at porn, I'm going to look at porn. You know, I'm just going to quit. I'm just not going to even try to not do this anymore. I couldn't even fathom that. It was so uncomprehensible to me that the answer was, you can't do it. And then, and then the Holy Spirit started to show me that my reliance, in spite of my love for God, that my reliance was on me and what I needed to do to stop, mm -hmm. not on him and what he did so that I could stop. You know, and it just changed my pattern where it was like, okay, so if I want to look at porn, well, I'm just going to go look at porn. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm trusting you and my strategy now is that you're going to change the want. Mm -hmm. And so now if I want to go look at porn, I go look at porn, but you're going to make me not want to look at porn. And now that now the real, you know, as the Bible says, you know, it's not the circumcision of the letter. It's not the cutting away of the law. It's the cutting away of the flesh. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that flesh nature dies. And, and it was like through that, the gospel became a reality. You know, and I and I would love to mm -hmm. say like, wow, he told me that I never looked at porn again. That didn't happen. I got married. You know, that night, literally, I left the conference. A friend called me and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go see Bethany at her church. You want to come with me? And I was like, well, I haven't seen Bethany in like six months. That would be great. Little that I know, it was a setup. Mm -hmm. I was being framed by God to marry my wife that night. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I was like, yeah, let me go. You know, and that very night, there's Bethany. And we, you know, I told her before we got, you know, we got engaged and we kind of did our own marriage counseling where I'd sit there with the Bible. And I just told her, I says, look, you know, I've been actively looking at pornography since I was like six and so it's like, this has been in my life for 23 years. I'm fighting, you know, I'm, I'm clawing at this, you know, and, and I might, I might marry you and I never do it again. I might marry you and I do it all the time. I don't know. I cannot make you promises 
of what this journey looks like, but I can promise that I hate it and I desperately want to be free. Um, and we got married and you know, that struggle continued. Wow. So how, I think it's really interesting that the Lord took Bethany on a journey and the way she got free was worship. And the Lord reveals to you that you can't do it. Your heart desire has to change. Interesting that both of you had this understanding that it was beyond yourselves that would bring you to freedom and deliverance. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. So is it, so you get married and then what? What's the next place? So now you're walking in a place where Bethany, you're free from cocaine, but -hmm. you're still struggling with an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say the next couple of years in our marriage was kind of the, the journey of hard knocks because like Sean said, you know, we, we really talked, (laughs) Sean really set the stage for that in our marriage and just, we laid all of our issues out. Like here's the deal, you know, Sean was, struggling with porn. I was still, I had got to deliver me of smoking drugs. I was still struggling with bulimia. And, um, you know, we both walked into marriage thinking like both of us, we don't want to do this, but this is what's going on in our hearts and lives. And so, you know, we immediately got pregnant about two months later, had two kids pretty close together. And, um, I would say those next couple of years were just really hard, you know, cause Sean, Sean's struggle triggered my struggle because I had built my whole life upon this sand of, you know, appearance and beauty, of uh, of obsessing over my weight. And so anytime Sean would struggle with porn, that would trigger me because I would be like, well, you know, he's looking at all these pictures of all these girls, you know, I can't measure up physically, you know, to this. And mm. so I would obsess more over what I was eating and, and losing the weight and um, it, you know, at one point right before, um, or after I gave birth to our second son, Micah, I think I got down to like 110, 115, which was the skinniest I'd ever been. Mm-hmm. So I was still following the Lord, but actively struggling with bulimia and Sean mm-hmm. was struggling with porn. And so it was just this ring around the rosy thing for really years, you know, of, um, this struggle. But I would say that even though that, that season was really difficult, I would never take it back because, you know, I tell people Sean's struggle with porn really helped me to get over my eating disorder because Mm -hmm. it triggered me so much and brought it to the surface so deeply that I had to like deal with it. It was just, it was just roaring line that was just right in front of me of like, Mm -hmm. you know, Bethany, number one, you're going to kill your body. You're going to, you're going to destroy your life because you're, you're hurting your body this way. And now your kid, now you have kids and they're watching you. Mm -hmm the service in my life of just, man, Lord, I have built this whole castle, you know, on this sinking sand that's not going to last because, you know, everything's fading away. We're all getting older, you know, and he struggled with porn. You know, we had some amazing um, times of restoration because Sean could look at me through tears streaming down his face after he looked at porn and just said, Bethany, like you are the one that I want. My flesh was looking for that fix and that's why I looked, but my, my spirit, man, you know, is crying out for you, woman of God, you know? And so there was this, this kind of just disconnect that we were able to make during that time of like, yes, like, you know, I'm struggling with food. He's struggling with porn, but like that the spirit man, the spirit woman grew through it. And we were able to come together, um, you know, as, as, as husband and wife. And there were times that it was, it was really hard. Like I was a fleshly young woman who was fresh off the streets really and there were times where i'd be so mad at him and angry and i'd be texting him evil texts you know i mean it was not pretty Mm -hmm. you know but the holy spirit really challenged me there was times where he would struggle and the lord would be like go love him 
go love him. And that really broke Sean, you know, really showed him what a, what a beautiful woman was and what a godly woman was because it just broke down his walls, you know, as I loved him through it. Wow. So yeah. during this time, this first couple of years of marriage, did you have people in your lives that were still part of helping you grow? And then the second thing in this point is, what was it that allowed you both to hear the voice of the Lord so clearly? I've interacted with lots of people and they often say, I wish I could just hear God's voice for myself. I wish I could just know what God's saying to me. What does that sound yeah. like for you? I think sometimes we use the term hearing God's voice. Is this an, an audible voice for you? Because in my experience, I can hear the Lord's voice very clearly, but it's not audible. It's just in my heart. And so yeah. I think sometimes people get confused or discouraged because they feel like, well, wow, this is an amazing story, but these guys heard God and I can't. Yeah. How does that work for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I would say for me during that first answer, your first question is I don't really feel like we had a ton of support during that time. There were some friends that I could confide in. Um, with the struggle with that we were going through, but I've, I've found through the years and that it's sometimes hard to break down those barriers with, with pornography as whether it's you're struggling as a woman or a man, because there's a lot of like just stereotype over it and just mm -hmm. a lot of darkness over it. People are afraid to talk about it, especially men, mm -hmm. um, even though everyone's struggling with it in some form or fashion. Um, so that was definitely a struggle, I would say, not to have that community. And more so now, I feel like I'm, because I'm more open and honest about it, um, it's, it's a little easier for me to talk about because Sean's been free for like, I don't even know how long, what, eight years or seven, I don't been know. Nine or ten, it's eight. Been, yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Yeah, I don't even know anymore. Um, but then as far as hearing the voice of God, for me, I'm like you, Carrie, it's, it's a deep, deep, like, knowing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times it's, it's very uncomfortable um, if it's something that is not in my nature, which by nature in my flesh, I am typically a scared, feel fearful person. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. So, but in the spirit of God, like I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> so if I sense that, like it, there's something in my heart that the Lord is wanting me to do and it, it's number one, it lines up with the word of God, you know, and it's not something that's like totally out in left field. That doesn't mm -hmm. make sense uh, in that regard. Uh, but number two, is it something that's loving? Because I once heard there was a lady actually back in Grass Valley, um, an older lady at Bethel Church. I, I actually asked her that question years and years ago when we first moved to California. And I said, how do you know, like, if it's God or if it's you, like, that's telling you to do it? And she said that she struggled the same, you know, and she's like I said, she was an older lady. But she said, Bethany, I've just come to grips with that. If I look at whatever I feel like God is telling me to do, would Satan want me to do this? And if the answer to that is no, he wouldn't want me to do that, then usually I tell myself this is the Lord leading me to do it. <laughs> and so yeah, that's I was like, good. That's, that's, that's a good, that's good yeah, that's know? a good grid to have. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so both those questions, you know, those first few years of community, we kind of flopped around a lot. Um, the church that Bethany was a part of, we got married shortly after that. It fell apart. We ended up like at like this black prosperity church for a while. You know, we ended up at another church mosaic and then we found more community. Mm -hmm. But even when there was community, I think that we were pretty alone in our struggles because we were moving around so much. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I 
borderline got kicked out. Well, I guess I did get kicked out of the church for Mary and Bethany because <laughs> they didn't like how we did it. And I wasn't listening to them. And I was like, no, God told me to do this. I'm doing it. Mm. And they didn't they didn't see the transformation that happened in Bethany. So they felt like I was being dumb. One guy thought I got her pregnant and was marrying her because I got her pregnant. I'm like, I didn't even kiss her till we were married. Um, and <laughs> so we really bounced around in community. And so but I think for me, like there's a lot of levels to that. Like right now, God and I are not talking. Um, as I sit right now, God and I are not talking. Um, and I'll explain what I mean. <laughs> For a long time in my life, like I had audible experience was with God. Mm-hmm. You know, I had him tell me things. I had him tell me, okay, there's a guy over here, you know, leaning on a car, smoking a cigarette, go talk to him. And I would go over there and there's the guy. And the next thing you know, the guy's in tears. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, there was a very like audible tangible like amazing place of hearing god now Mm -hmm. for me that changed you know one day where shortly before uh, bethany and i got married um the ministry i was leading was falling apart the economy had shifted i was like i went from being financially very stable and had all my time free to do ministry till everything's falling apart i was in my prayer room one day um and as i was praying you know, and some people that hear this might think I'm nuts. Others may not, but it happened. I'm praying, and I was like, I was praying in a, in a different tongue than I'd ever prayed in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as I was praying, I realized that I wasn't breathing. And I was literally just caught away in the Spirit of God, worshiping in my dedicated prayer room. I had no kids. I had no wife. I had no cares in the world. And so I had all the time to be with the Lord. <laughs> Boy, have things changed a lot. Um <laughs> And, and there I was, and I realized I'm not breathing, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to lay down on my back. And I laid there on my back for about two minutes without taking a single breath of air, and it was like my body didn't even require air. Mm. And I was in this most perfect, still, peaceful place, and the voice of the Lord came to me audibly and said, Sean, when you are doing what I have called you to do, as I have called you to do it, it will be effortless. Mm. I got up from that moment and God has never talked to me like that since. And Mm. I literally got up and I have spent 15 years in effort where almost everything I put to my hands, my hands to explodes in my face. Nothing is working. And so currently that's where I said, God and I are not talking right now. God told me that But then in my heart, I know why God and I are not talking right now, because he is walking me through something so deep that hasn't manifested yet, that hasn't come to fruition, where I have to walk in the blindest of faith. I have to choose to believe, even though I don't hear what he's saying to me right now. And I have to press on believing that this beautiful, glorious God that rescued me is not done with me yet. And I am not there yet. And and so I know that God left me with that cliffhanger conversation so that I could always remember that moment. And and, and he took my breath away. Literally, we go, God takes my breath away. He took my breath away. (laughs) You know, it's I can't explain it, but it happened. You know, and and there I was. and, And now all these years later, I'm like, God, would you talk to me like that again? You know, where are you? Where am I? Like, what's going on? And God doesn't talk to me like that. But he whispers in my spirit, just trust me, son. Mm. You're on a journey 
and you haven't got there yet. And when you get there, it will all make sense. Trust me. And so I'm like, okay, does that align with scripture? I'm like, yeah, it does. You know, does that align? Like, am, am I am I doing my best to honor God and to, and to believe and to glorify him? Yeah, I really am. If I could do any better, I would be. So I think that like we just have to recognize that we're not there yet. Mm. You know, God gave me that key. He spoke through the preacher man saying, you can't do it to me. God, that was the voice of God to me. It hit me so deep that nothing can hit me that deep. Nothing can resonate with my spirit like like you can't do it did. You know, I will never forget it. You know, it's like I'll be on my deathbed here and you can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. You know, and isn't that the gospel? You can't do it. You know, and so it's like God speaks in different ways in different times. I mean, we have 400 years of the silent years in between the last prophet speaking and Jesus showing up. Mm -hmm. What was God speaking during that time? Well, they weren't in, they weren't on, you know, they weren't talking at that point. Just like right now, God and I are not talking like we once did. Mm -hmm. You know, there was prophets that came and God spoke through the prophets. And then there was 400 silent years. So we have to recognize God is God and he gets to be the one to choose how and when he wants to speak. And our job is to be available to hear what he has to say as soon as he wants to say it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, and as we pursue him and as we walk through these things, we have to trust him that like, you know, I wanted to get off pornography so bad. You know, I never wanted to bring that into my marriage so bad. You know, I never, ever, ever wanted that. But there it was. But then God used it in Bethany's life to deal with her and to free her. And I'm like, what? No way. And I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, God uses, you know, works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. So is that biblical? Does God use sin to accomplish his will. And you're like, whoa, that's some scary theology right there. Yes, he does. Otherwise, he would have never put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which introduced sin. He used sin to accomplish his will. Was it his will that we ate from the tree? No. Was it his will that we sinned? No. But he already had a plan to restore it, redeem it, and use it. So as Bethany got healed, I got healed. You know, and today it's it's summertime. I always remember it was summertime when I got free. So this summer we're going into, it's either nine or 10 years now. And I just don't even, I don't, I can't even keep track of it. It's not in my heart. I have no filter on my phone. I have no accountability. And I used to not be able to say that because I wasn't free. If I told someone while I was struggling, let's say I went six months without looking at porn. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm doing good. I don't have a filter. I da, 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 da. The next day I'd be looking at porn. Mm. And it was like, you know, let him who stand take heed, lest he fall. But mm -hmm. now I can actually share it. And every time I share it, I'm amazed that like I have zero accountability. No one checks in on me. No one checks my phone. No one. I have no, you know, apps or anything because I don't want to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I hate it. And I couldn't even imagine that. And for someone who never thought there was such a freedom with porn, Bethany used to ask me, she said, Sean, can a man really be free from this? I said, it's impossible. A man will always struggle with this, even if he's not doing it. It's always going to be a deep desire in him, and he's going to just have to grin and bear it to not do it. And then, you know, now my story's changed. Hmm. God can completely free us and change us so the things that we used to have so much affection for, 
we hate and we don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. And now to see who my wife's become and the freedom she walks in, I'm like, wow, God, you weren't just working something out in me. You were working something in her. And that's why this setup happened. Um, and that was God's voice. So there's many ways he talks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you're saying God's not talking to you right now. And you're, but you're, I think you're meaning God's not talking to you in the way he always did until that moment. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's different ways that he speaks yeah. to us. And I think we use that term speaks to us as such a broad umbrella that like covers all, like I feel this or it aligns with scripture or the Lord spoke to me through an ex-football player. Like he speaks, quote unquote, in so many different ways. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a joke. I say it jokingly where it's like, you know, God and I aren't talking right now, you know, and it's like kind of a joke with him, too, where it's like, I know what he's saying. I know what he's called me to do. But but, you know, as a younger man, he spoke to me how I would have, I guess, wanted him to speak to me. It was very clear. It was very go here. Do this. Do that now. Go over here. Talk to that person. You know, it was just like, holy God. God, you know, like, mm-hmm. and now it's like, I know that he's talking to me. It's just, he's not talking to me how I want him to talk to me, mm-hmm. but that's what he's talking to me about. He's saying, I want to create you to be a man who is so sold out to me and so passionately committed to me that I can put you into things that you just absolutely despise, absolutely hate you know, that are the most difficult situation that you could have ever put, you know, that I could have ever put you into, son. And you will love me through it, grow through it, and learn to worship me for it. And and that's him talking. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so he is talking to me just a little different. <laughs> and I think, okay, so was there a catalyst moment for either of you that delivered you from bulimia, that delivered you from porn? Or was it this place of you just falling more in love with Jesus and less in love with other things. Yeah, I would say the first things that the two things that come to my mind, um, it's been such a process with bulimia. I don't, there's not like a major moment, like an aha moment that I can like think of in the past years that stands out, but there's two events that have marked me, um, in, in a, in one in a good way and one in a very painful way, similar to your story, Carrie. But number one is, you know, we have four boys and we have one daughter and Hope is eight years old now. And having a daughter really, really challenged um, a lot of my um, choices, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing like, wow, I have a little girl who is watching me, you Mm -hmm. know, and as I watched my mother who had, um, I would say an active eating disorder or different types growing up, whether that was overeating, undereating, binge eating, it was just food was a big struggle for her. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was, that was kind of just an event when she was born of like, wow, Jesus, like, let the line be drawn in the sand here that I don't want my daughter to, our daughter to struggle with this. And, and she will have her struggles. Every woman does. We all have our insecurities. We live in a fallen world. But um, this particular one for me to say generationally, this is where this ends, mm-hmm. you know, this is where this ends and just putting my foot down. Um, and the second one was my mom passed. It'll be two years, um, this upcoming October. Mm-hmm. And my mom, 
you know, my parents got divorced shortly before she passed away. And my mother really tried to gain my father's affection by losing weight, by, um, you know, she was a beautiful woman, like, especially when they first got married, she was just, I mean, she could have been a model. She was just very gorgeous. But as she had children and as she aged, you know, things change. And mm -hmm. she, uh, when I was, um, really in college, she really tried to start shifting her, her body back to what it was. And I just saw this obsession in her and, and she never really gained my father's affection. Like it never did anything to their relationship. Mm -hmm. if, if anything, it was just more death. And she became, you know, so obsessed uh, with, you know, becoming thin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I saw her, when I went to her funeral and I saw her and she knew the Lord, like there was a struggle there, but she absolutely knew the Lord. She taught me about Jesus and she, you know, she did the best she could do with the tools she had and just lived in. Their marriage was a big struggle. Um, but when I saw her in the casket, I was just like, Lord, I don't want to waste my life on things that don't matter. You know, it's like all of this time and effort as women that we put into our appearances, the way that we look, our weight, all of these things. Here's my mother. She's taking nothing with her. And you know these things, like as a Christian and raised in like a church, you know these things. But for me, when I saw her body mm -hmm. that she had spent all this time on, just completely gone. And her soul was with the Lord and whatever she did for the kingdom that remained, you know, with her crown that she she laid before Jesus, you know, it just, it impacted me so much. And even though, you know, the trauma of her dying is still present in my life and I'm still working through all that stuff. And I don't, you know, that, that will always be grief just changes, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's really like, it's been a catapult for me to move forward in the things of the Lord knowing like, okay, Jesus, like how much time do I really have left on this earth? I want to live for you. I don't want to waste my life, mm -hmm. you know, on my appearance. And I still struggle. Like, I'm not saying that I'm like arrived or I've gotten there. You know, there's days where, you know, I, I have those struggles for sure. But it has definitely been an event in my life that I'm like, wow, Jesus, this has, this has um, changed me forever. Wow. Um, was there a catalyst moment for you, Sean, or was it kind of transitioning out or? Uh, I would say a journey. I mean, I, I wish that there was an aha moment. I mean, I was a drug addict. I gave my life to the Lord and I pretty much never got high again, you know, and it was kind of like a one, one and done type like, Oh, great. Here we go. Well, God left porn mm. to teach me about his love, to teach me about his gospel. Um, and you know, there was a lot of different steps along the way. Like, I mean, if I always, you know, if I, if I like, if someone comes to me, you know, I guess my journey, if like, let's just say, you know, Eric, you know, or Bob walks up to me and he comes over to me and he goes, Hey, I want to get free from porn. Can you help me? I go, fantastic. Bob, give me your phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> huh? And I've actually had, I had a friend that I was trying to help. And it was like, you know, I was like, well, you basically walk around with a phone in your pocket that at any moment you could look at porn, mm -hmm. but yet you want to get free from porn. Mm -hmm. So let's do something about that. Most men will be like, well, I can't and I, this and that and, that, and they'll make a bunch of excuses and I'll say, hey, it's been a great conversation, Bob. I got a lot going on in my life right now. When you're ready to do whatever it takes, give me a call. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's apps, there's filters, there are accountabilities, all kinds of things. Okay, I need my phone. But, you know, back when I was getting free from this, we had flip phones and, you know, we didn't have smartphones, you know. And so now it's like our whole world revolves around our smartphone, but yet the devil loves accessing everyone's lives with their smartphone now, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, there's ways to do that. There's, you know, 
stuff you could put on there. There's accountability, you know, and all that. So if someone's not willing to do that and they're not willing to do to be held accountable, they're not willing to do whatever it takes to, for lack of a better word, and I had a counselor tell me this, police yourself, mm-hmm. then it's really not worth the time, in my opinion, to work with someone like that because you got to hate it. You got to be done. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes, first and foremost. If you're not willing to do whatever it takes, you know, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. The horse has got to be really, really thirsty. Um, so as I was really thirsty as a younger man, I really was doing everything I could. I mean, as I said earlier, I was just every possible thing, everything I read in scripture, I was fasting, I was praying, I was, you know, you name it, I was like, I'll do it. You know, and um, and so is there a willingness to to do that? Because Jesus did say, if your eye causes you to sin and your hand or your hand causes you to sin, pluck it out or cut it off. Mm-hmm. So you got to be willing to separate yourself. But that's not it. And like that's where I failed was recognizing that no matter how much I cut it off, I would cut this off, cut that off, cut that off. They would keep growing back. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it, it just constantly was that. So I think phase one is that. The biggest next thing that sticks out to me is you got to invite God into the struggle and realize that when you're sitting there looking at pornography, God is no further away from you than when you're standing on a street corner preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. When when you're you're actively in it, God's love for you has not changed. God's grace for you has not changed. Your position as a son or daughter has not changed. Nothing has changed. So if nothing has changed, the only reason I feel distant from God in that moment is my own shame, my own guilt, and the devil's condemnation in my Mm -hmm. life. So I started to invite God in, and this was a major breakthrough where when I was looking at porn, I would actually start talking to God. Now, I've had people, I've told them that, and they're like, that's blasphemous. I'm like, what? Like, God can't see me looking at porn? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, so... You know, with my flesh, I might serve the law of sin and death, but with my spirit, my soul, my my inside man, I could serve the law of God, just as Paul said, you know, in Romans 7. And so I started to invite God in, and I would actually start to praise him. And this was shortly before I went to the conference and heard kind of the third part of freedom. Um, and so I would be looking at porn, and I'd be like, wow, God, thank you for making women. They are amazing. Like, Wow. You know, I'm going to have a woman in my life that's going to be amazing to me someday. Like, you made them this way. That's not bad. These things I'm looking at are not bad. But what I'm doing with it, this is wrong. And so thank you for women. Thank you for their beauty. Thank you for sex. Thank you for marriage. Thank you for all of these things. You know, God, but I need you to change this part of me right now. And I'm inviting you into my mess because apparently I can't get out of it. And so I just want to be here talking with you. And I'm like looking at porn, having this conversation with God. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be verbally talking to God and just in thanking him, you know, thanking him for a woman's body and, and just but then saying, but that's for my wife. Mm-hmm. That's what my wife is going to mean to me. And then I would start thanking him for my wife. And I would start saying, thank you, God, for bringing me a wife that is going to satisfy me as a man. Like that, and I would say, thank you, God, for making me a man that someday I'm never going to do this again. Mm. Thank you, God, that someday I'm going to love a woman so much that the thought of this would just, uh, would just 
kill me and I would never be able to do it because you're a God of love. You're a God who could create those things and you could create that even in this lost sinner right now. And so I just started to bring God into the struggle. And I think that goes across the board for everything, anything that we're struggling with, any addiction we have, any anything, mm -hmm. you know, is that God wants to be invited into our sin. He wants to be invited into our faithlessness. He wants to be invited into our struggle, just like he came into our world, you know, and it's like, that's why it's like, we believe Jesus is God, you know, it's like Jesus is God. Some mm -hmm. people don't believe that, but Jesus is God. He came into our world, and that's why we have, we believe this, and we know this about him, because it was God with us, Emmanuel, who came into it. So if it's the same God that comes into all of our sin, that comes into all of our mess, then he could come into my mess. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to invite him into that, and we say, God, be here with me in this. Be here with me in my pornography. Be here with me in my doubt. Be here with me in my grief. Be here with me in my struggles and my temptations. And, and so that was the second thing. Third thing we already talked about is God said, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I had to, once I, once I had done everything, I invited God into it. The third step was removing my efforts out of it and saying, now it's just a work of faith. Mm -hmm. Now it's just a work of faith in trusting the process of faith. You know, Noah had a work of faith. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, Noah had a work of faith. God came to him on a Tuesday, said, build an ark. Wednesday, they sailed off. No, never happened. Mm -hmm. It's not written. He labored through this journey of faith that God had told him there was going to be this destination that he needed to get to, you know, and, and that this is what's coming. And so then the journey and the process is like, okay, this is what it's going to take to get there. So while this was happening, every single time I looked at a woman lustfully, I told my wife about it. I talked to God about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would tell another man about it, but I was like, you know, I'm accountable to God and I know the journey has me on. I've told so many people about it. I've been told not to tell people about it. <laughs> so it's like, it's not a problem with me not wanting to tell because I'm not willing to humble myself. And if I don't humble myself, I get opposed by God, not free from God, you know? And so I was like, this is the journey I'm on. This is what the Lord said. I trusted him. I believed. And then over the course of, I mean, I think it's been 10 years so we've been married 15. So, you know, for those next five years, mm. there was greater victories. You know, the first period we were married, I think, I mean, we might have been married three months before I looked at porn, mm. you know, and it used to be multiple times a week. So mm. when I got married, it was like it got better. You know, obviously, like, I mean, my whole Christian life, I was celibate. You know, I didn't have a woman in my life. And so I have a wife now. You know, Paul said, if a man burns with passion, take a wife. That helps. So that definitely helped, but it still didn't change my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, it helped the physical part, but my heart was still beyond repair besides anyone but the Lord. So then just the journey, you know, the process of seeing my wife being broken, the process, you know, of, of having our daughter, um, you know, was another part that just kept me, I guess, from not ever wanting to do that again, you know, but it was just a process. And I think that, you know, the third step, you know, or the fourth step is like, you know, you realize like, okay, I can't do it. And then we just have to trust the process of God. Mm -hmm. And as long as we want the process of God, then and, and we've done our part, we've, we've done everything we can, according to scripture, I believe any man 
you know, any person that's bound in sin should be going and talking to people about that, that they know and love and trust. Mm -hmm. I believe that we should be setting up things in our life so that we don't do it. If you struggle with cheesecake, probably not a good idea to have cheesecake in the house. I do not keep cheesecake in the house. No cheesecake in the house. Okay. <laughs> I love it too much. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's yes. like, so people that are like, I really don't want to do this as they're, they're making it available in their life. I kind of go, well, I don't know if I believe you, you know? And so it's like, we really got to do our part mm -hmm. to separate ourselves from these things so that God can change our heart. Because if I'm looking at porn every day, because I'm allowing myself to do that, where is God going to have the time to show me what life without porn looks like? Mm -hmm. Where is God going to be able to really have a good conversation with me where I'm not filled with, oh, I did it again. I'm sorry, God. Oh, I, I, please change my heart. Oh, oh, I did it again. God, you know. It's like, so we have to be willing to say, I want to get as far away from this as I can. Now that I'm here, I realize that I can't ever find freedom from this and be changed. That's your job, God. So you need to be the one to do that. And then we just go into, I'm going to trust the process, you know, and constantly invite God into it. And slowly over time, you know, there was the last time I looked at porn, I must have said, you know, Lord, I, I, I just asked that you would change my heart so I would never do it again. Was I expecting that would be the last time? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it was mm -hmm. because the work was completed and God God did it. You know, you have to sow. I sowed it into porn. I reaped porn. I had to sow out of porn so that God would rescue me from porn. Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the law of sowing and reaping. Sow to the flesh. Of the flesh you reap destruction and chaos. Sow to the spirit. Of the spirit you reap life. Keep sowing. Keep believing. Keep walking. Keep trusting. Keep memorizing scripture. Oh, I used to memorize a lot of scripture too. Gotta get the truth in you. I had so many, I had a wall at my door that had scriptures of all, you know, no temptation has overtaken, you know, man, but, you know, but what are such as is common to man, but God's faithful not. You know, I mean, I just had all these verses that were these battle verses. You know, my weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so that when I was struggling, I would go, my weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, you know? And it was mm -hmm. like, you got to get the truth in you because the lie is porn is going to satisfy. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel like a man. It's going to make you feel, you know, the truth is no, 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 no. God does all of that. And then some, mm -hmm. um, so that was part of the journey too, is lots of truth, accountability, praying, believing God and all things are possible with God. Mm, yeah. Wow. What a cool, just place that you guys are willing to speak about this. I think I was thinking as you're talking, there's so many places in scripture where Jesus, I don't want to say applauds, but Jesus says about the person, what they have done is so valuable because they've invited me into their mess. I'm thinking about like the woman who washes his feet with her hair and the religious leader says do you even know who this is like do you know what she's done and jesus is saying well what she's doing is inviting me and coming and humbling herself it's more yeah. than any of you have given me since i've been here it's very interesting and super neat that you're able to articulate that in a way that brings the hope of the lord um I had a question for you guys. We're going to wrap it up in just a couple minutes, I know. But Bethany, you were saying when you had hope that it changed things in you. 
there was places where you begin to realize things differently. And I was wondering, are there things that you put in for your family as safeguards or things that you do differently with your kids to protect them from walking into these places? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. We have some safeguards. I think the biggest thing that we're walking through right now as a family is we have two teenage boys in the house and, you know, they are a part of a culture that says, you know, at 13, 14, 12, 11, whatever years old, Nine, you should have a smartphone. Six. And um, that's something that we've really had to stand our ground in and battle for us personally. You know, we don't feel like at that age they need to have access to a smartphone mm -hmm. um so that's something that we have not allowed them to have at this present point now there's going to be a, a time where they're going to have to learn how to navigate that and they will have one um but the biggest thing too is you know they have uh, laptops for school mm -hmm. and so they're not allowed to um bring their laptops into their rooms alone mm -hmm. uh behind closed doors um if they're on the laptop then they have to be in the living room or at the kitchen table mm -hmm. uh, facing out so that we can see like what's on the screen. Mm, um, so those, yeah, so those are the, uh, some really big things that we're um, walking through right now. And Josiah, our oldest, you know, he's kind of our guinea pig. <laughs> he just turned 14. So we're <laughs> just really starting the season of, wow, you know, of, of our little boys becoming men, you know, they're mm. really becoming men. Um, and as far as hope, I mean, she's still pretty young. I think just the other night we had a situation where you know she felt shameful about something and I just I told her I came to her and I said hope you never have to hide anything from me and I try not to react like what she was doing was such a small thing she's just super sensitive and I was like hope I'm not mad about that you know but <laughs> it was a great moment for me to, just as a mom to say hey like did you see me overreact I'm not mad at you you know like I want you to be able to come to me mm -hmm. as you get older if stuff comes up and just you know, hoping that that line of communication, you know, stays open as she becomes a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that there will definitely be more of a season to have those conversations with her um, about, you know, appearance and different things. I mean, even at eight years old, you know, there's stuff that sometimes she talks about that stuff happens with her friends and different things. I'm like, gosh, you're only in second grade, you know, and you're already like this stuff is already starting to come up. So, um, but yeah, I think the main thing right now is just with our teenage boys. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I, I would I would say for us in general, you know, safeguards is I just think in the verse it says have no fellowship with fruitful deeds of darkness. And mm -hmm. so we are very careful, you know, with what foods we bring into the house, you know, because yeah. Bethany with her struggle, um, you know, or, or, or her past struggle. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I got to be very careful with like movies, you know, I mean, a lot of people I've I've been to. I've been to Christian's house of people that are in ministry that are watching R-rated movies with nudity. Hmm. And like they invited me over to join them, you know, on Halloween to watch this, you know, scary movie. And I was like, all of a sudden there's a naked girl goes running by and they're just sitting there watching it like it's no big deal. And I'm like, hmm. eyes, like our eyes are the window to our soul. Like hmm. when we see this stuff and we fellowship with it and I got up and left and we kind of weren't friends after that, I guess. Um, not on my part, but um you know, we just have to be careful, you know, it's like, it's, you can't, we can't like live in a box. I mean, there's the monastic way of like, we're going to go, you know, build a house on a hill with no, nothing around, no way to sin. And that's how we're going to glorify God. God wants us to be surrounded by sin and to say, nah, I'm not, no, thanks. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. 
-hmm. you know, my heart is loyal to the Lord. Um, and so, but we're definitely like, you know, shows. And Sean does a great job. He's, it's pretty cute. Josiah and Micah, you know, we'll be watching, you know, stuff like the late, we watched a show called Lego masters where they build Lego creations and they just love it. And these mm -hmm. commercials come on, you know, that are just like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, like boys, close your eyes. Um, but Sean has taught them how to like bounce their eyes. Like that's something that came mm -hmm. from, uh, books through the years um and so it's cute they sit there and they kind of bounce their eyes and they close their eyes and it's like like sean said we can't shield our boys or us from this stuff like we went to the beach last summer it was last summer i think and, and i mean i guess the new style is these certain bathing suits that are like these thong bathing suits and i'm mm -hmm. like i can't act to josiah and micah from seeing that stuff mm -hmm. you know but i can give them the tools to say hey like you know, one day God is going to give you a wonderful woman and you are going to have to learn now at 14, 15, 16, 17 to not look at that because one day you're going to have a wife and she's not going to want you to look at that. You know, I go to the beach and if, if a bunch of girls go walk by in these scandalous bathing suits, I know that I know that I know that my husband is not going to be looking at them. I'm going to be looking for shells. Not because he answers to me, but because he answers to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's like that. That me gives me the comfort of like I don't have to hold him accountable to that he Jesus is holding him accountable because his heart is surrendered his heart has been dealt with and anything in between that is between him and Jesus yeah, yeah but but in that like when we go to the beach we have about a five hour beach window you know we're, we're never you're never gonna find the Walsh's going to the beach and spending five days on the beach because if you bounce your eyes eventually your eyes get exhausted or the problem when you're in in an, in an area like that is you bounce your eyes from one girl and they land on another and you're like, dang it. Like every, you know, and so it's like, we love the beach, love but that. like when we go to the beach, we try to find the most secluded place we possibly can. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't say the beach is evil. You know, G strings are evil. We just go, we're going to try to stay away as far as we possibly we can. can. Yeah. And then at some point, if I'm starting to go, okay, so spiritually i've taken so many blows that i'm starting to weaken mm -hmm. and i'm starting to go i don't want to be here and it's not even about just like spiritually being weak as if like i'm about to be like you, you just fall back into it and all of a sudden sean's gone and he's ran off with some other girl or something it's a matter of going i'm getting beat up i'm taking blows here because the devil is here working through all of these people that believe this lie and I just don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it was fun. Our kids played. We fished. We made sandcastles. That was amazing. That's why I came here. But I don't want to be here for this. And we're out of there. Mm -hmm. and, and usually, I don't think we've ever been to a beach for more than five hours. But we used to not be able to go to a beach. Yeah, when we were first married, we couldn't go. No it way. Was, it was just too hard no for way. both of us. So, Thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like... My heart is overwhelmed with the amount of hope that comes from this. I've been in situations where people just talk about their gunk and it's like verbal vomit fest, but there's no place of hope. It's just this place of, well, we all got it out in the open and everyone knows everyone else is a sinner. Okay, now we're all on the same page. And it just, it doesn't, it feels kind of yucky because you're like, and now what? Yeah. Now what? Yeah. But you guys have given such a good picture of yeah there's gunk but now there's hope and there's places of inviting Jesus into our mess that bring us into a place of deliverance 
And some things are instant and some things are a process. And we yeah. have to trust the Lord in both. And that's yeah. huge. Amen. Yep. Is there anything you guys want to speak to that we haven't yet? I, I would just like to say to whoever's listening and is feeling hopeless that, you know, our situations that we look at can look hopeless. But God, you know, we look at things like um, like a, a movie, <laughs> you know, and I'm one hour and 12 minutes into the movie right now. God looks at things like a picture. He's the alpha and the omega, and he's working out a beautiful picture in your life. Mm. He's not working out a movie. He wants you to enjoy the the journey and to trust him with the destination, you know, and, and so as you're going through this and as you're going through the struggle, you know, and as you're just saying, where are you, God? And what, why, why did I, why did I lose my baby? Why is my husband leaving me? Mm. You know, why did I just get fired? Why did my child just die? You, you just can't see the destination of it yet, but we can trust God is good. We can trust God has a plan to redeem evil, to redeem hurt, to to bring together, to unite, to glorify, to change this world in his name. And oftentimes the God of all comforts, he comforts us in our trials so that we can comfort others that are going through the same trials. And so he allows us to experience these things because one person, one family is going to experience the weight of something that can impact thousands of people and thousands of families mm. and in God's redemptive purpose and plan that is what he is working out he is redeeming the world he is redeeming the generations he is he is changing things and, and making them to be restored back unto him and in the midst of what you're going through God right now is going to use every bit of that pain Every bit of it is already, it's already prepared to come together to see amazing things happen as a result of it. And when you experience that, you will look back and say, now I see, now I see. And so that's why the Bible says, set our mind on the things that are above, not the things that are below. To be heavenly minded is to say that everything that has failed and fallen apart in my life, every bit of pain will be redeemed and be restored by my beautiful Jesus, my creator and my God. And I believe him and I trust him. So now in this moment, whoever you are, wherever you are, what it is, just close your eyes and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I know you're not finished yet and I know that you are going to use this for your glory and for your purposes I believe in you and the next time you forget it close your eyes and say it the same and over time you're going to watch God do amazing things through it and he's going to change your heart and he's going to touch your heart and he's going to give you peace in the most broken and unsettled places that will be used in this world to make an impact for generations and for all of eternity yes amen that was excellent so thank you so much for joining us today on the conversation at haven chat thank you to sean and bethany for being here it's been an honor to speak with you and just to hear your heart on so many good places and thank you so tune in next week and we'll have another great conversation thanks so much